Hey guys, what's up? This is Chelsea, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of The Sassanac Files. Today we're going to be talking Season 2, Episode 7, Faith. But before we get into that, I want to remind you that you can find The Sassanac Files on all sorts of listening platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. If you have not had a chance yet, make sure you head over to the Sassanac Files blog at www.thesassanacfiles.com for all of my latest articles. I try to post something at least once a week to keep you guys entertained during Droughtlander. My latest article is about five limited series you can check out on several different streaming services, including Amazon Prime Video and Netflix. Also, before we get started with the episode, I want to take a moment to plead with you guys that if you like what you're listening to with the Sassanac Files, please make sure to rate and review on your favorite listening platform. Ratings increase circulation, and we want to make sure to keep the Sassanac Files available for anyone else who wants to join the club. With those things out of the way, let's get into 207 Faith. This episode is is always kind of a catch-22 because it's immensely painful to watch. Uh, Last week I was talking to you guys about how I'm not a crier and there's probably five episodes in this entire series that have physically brought tears streaming down my face. Faith is one of those episodes. It's the first episode that I watched where I was completely emotionally drained afterward, and I think that is 100% due to Katrina Balfe's performance. She is phenomenal, and this episode really put all of her talents on display. She's amazing. I want to kind of talk in chronological order this episode. I also want to break the episode into the three acts. So, I felt that the first act was everything that happened with Claire in the hospital and her recovery once she got home. The second act was everything that happened at Versailles. And the third would be once she returned home and Jamie came home. So that's kind of how I'm going to measure today's podcast. This episode started out kind of giving us flashbacks of the season two premiere because it started out in the 50s and it always kind of confuses me. Normally whenever I read the making of Outlander it clears a lot of things up for me. This particular go around it really confused me because I always took the beginning of this episode as seeing Claire as a mother in the 50s and the little girl being Brianna. And I was reading how Tony Graffia, the writer for this episode, viewed it as Claire dreaming about the daughter that she would never have, which confused me because she's talking about in the flashback how the last time she saw a heron was when she was in Scotland a long time ago, etc., So, I don't know. Let me know what you guys think, because I was kind of confused by it all, to be honest. But as soon as we kind of fall out of the flashback, we fade into Claire in the 18th century and 
she's in the hospital and it's basically picked up right where best laid schemes laid off she's obviously miscarrying her child hemorrhaging very badly we don't really know what's going on as an audience quite yet but it's just heartbreaking because claire is not really there she's conscious but she's kind of in this other place inside her head and she just keeps saying jamie my baby jamie my baby and i thought she's calling out for the only two things in the world that really matter to her and she doesn't know where jamie is and she's losing her baby and that's just got to be such a dark place for katrina to have inhabited through this episode sam hewen put it into words as she's brittle but she's hard as well she's got this hard exterior but you can see that she's broken inside and i thought that that was very accurate for how katrina portrays claire in this episode especially from the time that she goes to versailles we see foray and mother hildegard and a bunch of other people around claire and then it cuts to her waking up in a hospital bed and she realizes that she's no longer pregnant and she's asking for her baby. This scene was really just gut-wrenching because Mother Hildegard and Sister Angelique are trying very hard to be gentle with Claire, but also get the point across that her baby died because Claire is in this state of shock. She can't believe what she's hearing and doesn't want to believe what she's hearing. When Mother Hildegard says she's with the angels, she was born dead, I think Claire just shuts herself off from the world. That's not what she wanted to hear. That was her worst fear coming to light right there. And when Sister Angelique, you know, touches the statue of the Virgin Mary and says you know, take comfort in the Virgin. She lost a child too. Claire just shakes her head and is like, no, no, give me my baby. She's in denial in the whole thing. And that's the start of us seeing Claire go through the stages of grief in this episode. And then when the statue of the Virgin shatters, that really just, I thought was perfect symbolism for Claire's emotional state through all of this she's just shattered beyond repair it seems there's not a lot of fight left in her by the time we see her next she's burning with pure pure fever which is essentially where the placenta isn't completely delivered after birth it's what they referred to as childbed fever in the 18th century and it's just festering in her uterus causing an infection throughout her entire body probably in what amounts to blood poisoning at this point and she just doesn't have a will to live she asks mother hildegard if she's heard anything about her husband and she says there's still no word and i'm sure claire is just like what happened where is he you know why isn't he here with me jamie is the only person she wants with her 
I mean, obviously she remembers what happened, but at the same time, knowing that if something weren't very, very wrong, he would be with her. So I'm sure that that scares her as well, but she's also starting to feel anger and resentment towards him, I think. She's just not letting herself completely feel it all the way yet because she's still deep in grief. When the father comes and says, do you want to confess your sins to me? You know, unburden your soul. She said, my sins are all I have left. Which just rips your heart out, doesn't it? Like, my sins are all I have left because as far as she knows, Jamie's in prison and she's never going to see him again. Her child is dead. She has nothing as far as she's concerned. So yeah, that's gotta be just, oh man. And then Master Raymond shows up. He is such an odd character. (laughs) I, I really can't wait to read The Space Between. I purposely did not read it before I did this episode because I didn't want to accidentally spoil something. (laughs) I'm really bad about that. Just like, oh, and did you know that this is actually the story behind this character? (laughs) Obviously, there's a lot to know about his character and Diana Gabaldon's writing a book or at least a a short story about him and kind of where he came from and why he is the way he is. But we do learn something critical about his character in this episode, that he has a healing touch. And I think it's very interesting that he makes the comment to Claire, what do you see? And she says, blue wings. She sees blue wings. And he said, well, blue is the color of healing. Which makes sense because Claire is a healer. And the wings have the power to carry your pain away if you'll let it. So here, Claire is kind of given a choice. She can let go of her pain and begin to heal, or she can let her pain and grief carry her to an early grave, is what he's telling her in these words. He performs a miracle. That's really the only way that I can describe it. His touch heals everything that's wrong with her, that takes the bacteria out of her body and somehow, how it appears to me, is that he reaches inside her and pulls that piece of placenta out of her womb. It's how it looked. I mean, I know it's gross, but that's kind of what I took to be happening. And all the while, he's saying, call to him, call to your husband. And she cries out for Jamie. I think Raymond knows that Jamie is the only thing that can give Claire the will to live. And if she won't fight for him, she's not going to fight for anything. So he said, call to Jamie, and she does. But the thing that I think is very easy to forget in Master Raymond showing up is that Claire warned him to leave. He was going to pack up shop and get the hell out of Dodge because... Claire warned him that King Louis was on the witch hunt and that Master Raymond was in his sights. So he was going to leave Paris. And then I fully believe that when he found out about Claire, he came back to save her. 
And by doing that, put himself in extreme danger. And we find out the ramifications of him coming back to help her later on in the episode. But, you know, it's like he said, these are the things you do for friends. It's cool to see that Claire really did make a good friend. Something good came out of Paris. Her fever breaks and she's sent back home. Fergus comes and gets her. Poor Fergus, you know, he, all his life, had been an orphan living in a brothel. Not exactly living an honorable life. And he finds Jamie and Claire and he's got some semblance of a family for the first time in his life. And now all of a sudden it's kind of been ripped from him. Claire's in the hospital, Jamie's in prison, and he's left to his own devices. So Claire laid in that hospital for weeks. And I'm sure just in a total state of depression, obviously healing from her ordeal, but mentally she's still just barely functioning. And Fergus comes and gets her and brings her home. And you can tell he's just doing his level best to take care of her. I mean, the kid is like eight years old at this point, seven or eight years old. So, man, I can't imagine having to go through something like that at such a young age. And he's doing his best, you know, he's sitting there brushing her hair and everything. But you can tell that there's something wrong and he's trying to keep it from her because he knows that she's suffering as it is. I mean, from the end of Best Laid Schemes, we knew something happened, but we don't have the full story until this episode when Claire runs in to Fergus's room because he's having a nightmare. He's screaming. And then we find out that Blackjack Randall attacked Fergus and raped him. And Jamie came to Fergus's aid, hearing him cry out, only to find Blackjack Randall on top of his adopted son. Just hold the phone for a minute. Picture that. Knowing what Jamie has been through in his life, that he's barely recovered from his own ordeal with Blackjack Randall raping him, and now his young foster son, Fergus, eight-year-old boy, is enduring the same thing. I can totally get how Jamie snapped in that moment. (laughs) Um, I get that Claire's mad at him and in her state, like she's looking for somebody to blame and that's fine if that's what she needs to cope with her grief. And in the end, she gets to a a healthy place where she realizes that it, it was her fault as well. But In my estimation, Jamie was completely justified in what he did. I know that he promised to hold off on the whole Blackjack Randall duel thing. And I get that. And he broke his word. And that's something that Jamie never, ever, ever does. But guys, I think we're so used to Jamie doing the right thing all the time that we forget he's human. And... Yeah, he's the king of men, but that doesn't mean that we need to hold him to a higher standard than everybody else. Like, he's still allowed to make mistakes. And in my estimation, I don't even think this was a mistake. Because, like, somebody needed to do something about Blackjack Randall. And the the guy crossed the line. Like, 
it's one thing for Jamie to hold back on justice for himself, but then to let someone like this go unpunished for something they're doing to a child, that's a completely different thing. And I think Claire realizes that as well. And I'm glad that Fergus finally told her because, man, Claire needed to know why Jamie did what he did so that she could kind of, if not get past her anger, at least accept that it wasn't all Jamie's fault. And that he had a good reason for why he did what he did. His note said, I'm sorry, I must. And yes, he did, in my estimation. So I was never angry with Jamie. I completely got what he did. I know that some people do blame him for what happened. And we'll get into that at the end of this episode. But yeah, I'm glad that this all got resolved earlier on in this episode. So Claire goes to Mother Hildegard, who is the goddaughter of the old Sun King, which is the Sun King is Louis the Fourteenth. Louis the Fifteenth is the king currently on the throne. But because of an epidemic that hit his family, I actually wrote an article on historical figures in Outlander. I think it was my post from three weeks ago, if you guys want to check it out. But the Sun King, Louis XIV, is actually Louis XV's grandfather. So Mother Hildegard is his goddaughter. So she kind of has an entree with the court of Versailles. And Claire goes to her for help to get an audience with King Louis because Claire thinks that that is the only way she's going to get Jamie freed because before Claire went home she was asking about Jamie and Mother Hildegard told her that Jamie had been arrested for dueling and he was being held in prison at his majesty's pleasure and it could have been worse but Blackjack Randall survived so you know Jamie wasn't going to be put to death for killing his opponent he was just going to be imprisoned Claire just has a moment where she's like, all of this shit has happened. I almost died. My child died. Jamie's in prison. All of this happened. And Blackjack Randall is still alive. You can see it process on her face. She's just beyond flabbergasted by the entire thing. Claire's just, this is kind of where her anger starts. You know, she wants Jamie by her side, but at the same time, she makes the comment, he broke his promise, and he might as well have run his sword through me. You know, they lost their child. And if you're getting into Claire's mindset, I mean, yes, we've established that it wasn't Jamie's fault. But to get into Claire's head, if he had never been so stupid as to go duel with Blackjack, she wouldn't have had to go to the woods and stop him. And then everything would have ended up okay in her eyes. But she had to go after him. And because of it, they lost their child. Mother Hildegard says, scripture says that we're supposed to tread things underfoot and hurl iniquities into the sea. And Claire says, I'm not sure there's a sea deep enough. So when Claire goes to Mother Hildegard and asks her for help so that she can try to get Jamie out of prison, Mother Hildegard says, so you found a deep enough sea. 
And I don't think Claire is fully forgiven Jamie at this point. She just knows that she can't go on living without him and that regardless of whether he broke his promise to her or not, he had a good reason for what he did. And she's not going to condemn him to a life in prison over defending their son. And that's what she says to Mother Hildegard. She says, regardless of what he did, he's still the father of my child. And yes, in the literal sense, he was Faith's father and he's suffering too. But I also think that that extends to Fergus because at this point, Fergus is their son. And obviously Fergus needs Jamie in his life. He idolizes Jamie. So I think that also, it's kind of a double entendre in that comment that Claire makes about her child because yes, Jamie was Faith's father, but he's also Fergus's adoptive father. Mother Hildegard gives her what she needs to get into the court of France and off Claire goes to Versailles. This whole section at Versailles is like super complicated, I feel like. So I'm going to start with the Star Chamber, the trial with the Comte and Master Raymond. Jamie spread the rumor that he was married to La Dame Blanche. It saved her life when her and Mary were attacked. And apparently that rumor has gotten around to the point where the king has even heard about it. And so when Claire goes pleading for Jamie's life and for his release from the Bastille, the king's like, okay, but uh, I'm going to need you to do a favor for me first. (laughs) And proceeds to this witch trial, essentially, where they're... Like, well, we don't have any quarrel with the pursuit of knowledge, but what happens when that knowledge is used for evil instead of good? (laughs) Essentially is the entire argument. And I just kept thinking during this entire thing, man alive, I can't imagine living in that time period where that was regularly believed to be a thing. (laughs) Like, witchcraft and all of that. Tony Graffia described this whole scene as kind of a trial by fire for Claire on her journey to get herself back and to get Jamie back. Which I thought was a genius way to think of it because Claire literally is thrown in head first, no time to prepare, and just kind of has to take a deep breath and start swimming. And so I thought she did a really good job. And there's a mystique to her that lends an interesting quality to the La Dame Blanche facade. And I also think that Claire is completely aware of the sex appeal she has for Louis. So she's kind of toying with that a little bit. And you can see it after she's done questioning the Comte. She said there's darkness in his soul. And then she said, and his as well as she turns to Raymond. But then she turns to the king and says, but no more than is in every man, even a king you know, in this breathy voice. And you could just totally tell that Louis turned on but trying not to be. I think Claire does a really good job of playing on his sympathies. I don't know why it never struck me before. I was really watching Stanley Weber's performance in this scene. Stanley Weber plays the Comte Saint-Germain. And you can really see the fear in his eyes when she's talking. And it made me think, 
she's basically just talking about what she already knows to be true. Obviously, she doesn't have any psychic abilities, but he completely believes in that stuff. And knowing that he was responsible for her attack in the street and that he did try to have her poisoned, you know, all of this stuff, like, he's sure that she's just picking it straight out of his head, I'm sure, but she knows this stuff because other people have informed her. So that fear is very real in his eyes, and whenever he says, you know, sire, this woman is a liar and a witch, and she's also known to drink poison and survive, and Louis's like, how do you come by this knowledge? And then Macomb's like, because I poisoned her myself. And I'm like, great. So you just admitted that you tried to murder somebody. Like, that's going to win you any points. You know, <laughs> I never noticed that before. Like, I noticed it, but it never really clicked in my head. So I found that remarkably unintelligent of Macomb. <laughs> For somebody that's so conniving, he really just had a moment where his brain took a leave of absence. <laughs> But then when Claire's necklace turned black when she was passing the cup from Master Raymond to the Comte, the terror on his face. I just had to applaud Stanley Weber in that moment. That entire scene was so good. was a great performance by him. Obviously, I'm reserving my performance of the episode for someone who blew me out of the water this week, but I really just wanted to take a moment to say that Stanley Weber was awesome. The Comte dies, or so we think. (laughs) I've heard rumors that that might not be true. I don't know for sure that it is or it isn't, but we shall see. Anyway, so he dies, and apparently the king is satisfied with that, and he lets Master Raymond go. Claire's voiceover in that moment was so cute, and it's perfect because I know I've mentioned in almost every episode that there is this underlying Wizard of Oz theme throughout this entire first half of season two and Claire's voiceover just seals the deal. Perfect way to wrap up this theme as they get ready to head back to Scotland. It says, perhaps it was the shock of what I'd been through, but as Master Raymond was led away, what ran through my brain was a line from a film. You know the one. I'm going to miss you most of all. Which is what Dorothy tells the cowardly lion before she goes back to Kansas. And I just love it. I love it. The Wizard of Oz isn't even one of my favorite movies, but I really like that they've taken this thread and woven it out through this entire Paris thing. It just really makes my day. So... With Claire having played her role as La Dame Blanche, she's led back into the bedroom and Louis's like, oh, I'll let your husband go. But there's the matter of the payment, which is exactly what Mother Hildegard warned Claire about, that she was probably going to have to sleep with the king to ensure Jamie's release. And I think that Claire went into this completely prepared to do so. From the moment she walked into Louis's chamber, it was all about the bed. She just kept looking at it. The camera at one point was sitting on the bed and, you know, she was kind of worried about it. This show has a lot of sexual assault and rape in it. I don't consider this to be one of those times because Claire willingly put herself in this position and agreed to the terms of the bargain. 
I look at this as Claire making an unpleasant but necessary choice to secure Jamie's release from prison. Not a sexual assault. Louis didn't force her into anything. They both had a choice and they both agreed to it. That being said, Louis was very quick about his business because it's elaborated on a little bit more in the book, but obviously Louis doesn't want a half-magical, half-royal bastard, is how Claire put it. (laughs) So, um, it was more about a sexual conquest for Louis. He likes the danger and the allure of having been a man who slept with La Dame Blanche. If you'll remember the lore of La Dame Blanche, it's basically that La Dame Blanche has the ability to damn a man's soul to hell for all eternity if he takes her in unholy embrace. And that's exactly what Louis just did. There's a high that he's getting off of that. It's, it's like I said, a conquest. It's not anything that's romantic in any way. And you can tell that in the way that the actual act of sex was performed in this scene. When Claire gets up, she just sits there. He says, I'll have your husband released from the Bastille and I will arrange a pardon with the British crown should you wish to return to Scotland. And that's it. Done and done. So there was a a line where Claire said he was known as Louis the Well-Beloved and it would only take a word from him to kill Jamie or kill me. Like he could do what he wanted with any of us. So he is a very powerful man. He's the king of France. He may be a little morally ambiguous, let's be honest. But (laughs) at the same time, he's also of the mind that a deal is a deal. At least he held up his end of the bargain and Jamie's going to be released. Which brings us to the third and final act of this episode, which is when Jamie returns to the house in Paris. It's not ever touched on in the show, but in the book, it goes into a little more depth about what Jamie went through during this time. And it's actually during the point when Jamie returns to Claire and he's telling her. So Jamie was hauled away to prison while Claire was lying there in the woods, basically bleeding to death. That's the last he saw of her. He was sure she was dead because she was so pale and there was so much blood. And then he was thrown in prison and left to just wonder. Nobody would tell him what was going on. And I think there's a line even in the book where he was basically just slamming his head repeatedly into the wall to stop the thoughts and the images coming to his mind. Because imagine that he loves her more than anything. And he's 99% sure that he's killed her at this point. So the mental torture and anguish that he's going through somebody finally comes to tell him that claire survived but she's boiling with fever and she's probably not going to live long jamie's in prison for probably a couple of months it's not a short amount of time at all a lot happens and claire's left on her own for all of this so when jamie finally makes his reappearance there is this quality to Claire where she's just shut off from the world. She's done what she had to do to get him released, but that doesn't mean that she's completely healed from everything and everything's going to be fine. Far from it. 
and Jamie sees that. Jamie's going through that to a degree himself because he lost a child too. You can see that these are two very different people than the people that we have seen up until this point. They have this crushing grief and you get by the end of this scene that they're both going to heal from it and mature from it and come out on the other side of it different people, but their relationship will be stronger for it. Which I think is a feat unto itself. Obviously, I've never been through anything like that, but the divorce rate of couples that lose children is extremely high. Extremely. And Claire makes the point whenever she says, you know, how can we ever be the same? And he says, we can't be. The weight of what has happened here is too great for any one of us to bear alone, but we have to carry it together. And she says, are you sure you want to do that? Like she's giving him an out. And he says, no, we're going to move forward together because they love each other and they want to make it work. So there's that aspect of it. But I think the most heartbreaking thing about this entire episode comes when, I mean, Claire doesn't even know where to start with Jamie, to be honest. It's just silence. And he's like, I don't even know if it was a boy or a girl. Will you talk to me? Will you tell me something? Are you going to make me beg? And, you know, she starts with those words, it was a girl. And then the whole story just kind of floods out of her. She tells him, everything. I loved the directorial choice of this episode where it was cut back and forth between Claire telling the story to Jamie and her actual memories of the event. I thought that that was beautiful because Katrina does a fantastic job on both ends. You can see the pain and inner turmoil when she's telling him about Faith's copper hair and her slanted eyes and how her ears stuck out just a little. All the things that she saw in her daughter that reminded her of Jamie. You could tell it was just eating Jamie alive because as if he wasn't having a hard enough time with this, now he gets to hear that his daughter looked like him, which has to just be a knife to the gut for him. Claire singing to her child was really powerful to me because you just know that she had probably envisioned singing to her child all her life. And maybe that's one of the memories that she has of her mother. You know, she was telling Jamie earlier this season about how she didn't have very many memories of her mother, but maybe that's one that she does have of her mother singing to her and how she always envisioned singing to her child. It's just really sad. We kind of go back from this cutting back and forth to Claire and Jamie in the present and Claire's memory. And then we flash all the way back and it's solidly in that scene. And we see that Louise has come to visit Claire. I can't imagine what Louise was going through because Louise is pretty heavily pregnant at this point with Prince Charlie's baby. So to see her friend going through this, losing her child at nearly full term, And so not only is she having her worst fear realized in that she could still miscarry her baby this late on versus her friend who has just lost a child is in complete emotional distress. That's 
got to be so rough, you know? I really felt for Louise in that moment. And it's, you can see she doesn't know what to do. She looks at Mother Hildegard and she's like, I don't know. It's a really tough decision to make. And I can't imagine being that for my friend, the person who talks them into giving up their child's body. Whenever we see her at the beginning of this episode, she was like, bring me my baby, bring me my baby. And now she has her baby. And she sees how perfect she was with her 10 fingers and her 10 toes. And she says, isn't she beautiful? And Claire is seeing everything that she dreamed of for those nine months in her arms. And she has to give it up. Like she's never going to see her dreams realized. Faith is never going to grow up and have children of her own. It's just so heartbreaking. And Katrina did a fantastic job in this scene. This was where I just completely broke down in sobs. I don't even have children. I've never even come close to having children. (laughs) And to feel something that deeply, it's amazing to me that an actor can do that. And so I also can't imagine how this episode was for men and women who have lost children. I can't imagine how it was for them to watch this. And how painful that would be. So I really appreciated everything that the show did. This was a really tough piece. And Tony Graffia said in the making of Outlander that this is the piece of writing she is most proud of throughout her entire career. And I totally get that because it really was a great episode. And I'm glad that she buckled down and really went there. She said in her first draft, this was a much different episode. It circled primarily around what happened at the court of Versailles. And then Ron said, no, this episode is supposed to be about the baby. So I'm really glad that she did the rewrite and that we got this phenomenal piece because it really, it was very powerful. By the end of this episode, we get some closure on Claire's part. She's obviously still in a lot of mental anguish over what happened in the loss of her daughter. I I think it was so great because Jamie wasn't making excuses for what happened. He knows that he broke his promise. He wanted Claire to understand why he did what he did. And they come to an understanding with that. But at the same time, he can tell that she's broken. And when he says, do you hate me for it, Claire? Like, it's his worst fear, I think. And I I think he has so much pain himself and he hates himself a little bit for it and he blames himself. But if Claire feels that way about him, then everything's lost, I think, for him. So when she tells him after all that transpired, I hated you. I think he expects that. But then when she says, but it was me who asked the impossible of you. It was me who put Frank before our family. And it was me who followed you out to the woods. It's not your fault. It's not even Randall's fault. Not this time. It's my fault. So coming to that realization, we see this beautiful arc 
And I don't think that it is even Claire's fault because Diana Gabaldon has said that Claire had uh, a condition called placenta privia, meaning that this miscarriage was very likely to have happened anyway, regardless as if she had gone out into the woods looking for Jamie, it probably would have happened anyway. Granted, it didn't help matters that she was on bed rest and she was supposed to be taking it easy. She'd already been spotting and she went out and looked for him anyway. But is it really in Claire's nature to sit back and wait for Jamie to come home? Like, I think it's unrealistic for any of us to expect that of her. And I think it's a little naive, honestly. I think Claire was very true to form in her going to look for Jamie. While they feel a lot of guilt, both of them, I don't think it really was either one of their fault. I think it was inevitable. So that in mind, that brings me to my quote of the episode. I actually had two. So my honorable mention was, if it comes to sacrificing my virtue, mother, I'll add it to the list of things I've already lost in Paris. So that's Claire coming to the realization that, you know, she's pretty much lost all that she can lose and she has to get Jamie back and she's going to do whatever she has to do to accomplish that goal. So I really loved that quote. And then my favorite was when Jamie says, the weight of what has happened here is too much for any one of us to bear alone. The only way we can live with it is to carry it together. Him saying, it's going to be tough, and I know that, but we can handle anything if we stick together. He loves her that much, and she loves him that much, that they can face anything as long as they're together. So it kind of made her feel a little bit better about what was happening. And then she dropped the ultimate bomb, you know, oh, I slept with the king. Which in the book, Jamie did not take that as well as he did in the show, but I think he took it with a lot more grace in the show. When he said, you know, you saved my life just as I gave myself to Randall to save yours. He doesn't hold it against her. In the book, he holds it against her a little bit more, which I never really agreed with, but neither here nor there. (laughs) Maybe someday if I do a book club, we can discuss it then. (laughs) So those are my quote of the episode, and obviously, without a shadow of a doubt, my performance of the episode was Katrina Balfe, because she was just phenomenal this episode. Like, words cannot describe how amazing she was. So heartbreaking. Her performance was devastating, and I appreciated her work so much. You can really tell she poured her heart and soul into it. So good job, Katrina. All right, so that pretty much concludes what I have to say on this episode, but for the first time, I actually had quite a bit of feedback on my Facebook thread for the Sassnack Files for the podcast post, so I wanted to share some of your comments and maybe respond to them a little bit, have a little bit of fun. So... Nancy McCurry Feely said, when I watched the episode, I always wonder what the significance of her taking the orange was. After all she did, how could she remember to take that orange? That is a great question, one that I've thought about a lot myself, and I really think that Claire took that orange because she was saying this was a business transaction 
you didn't defeat me. You're not going to take my pride and honor. I agreed to this, as did you, and we'll leave it at that. I think it was just a message to Louis that, you know, it was a business deal and that he viewed it as a conquest, but he didn't conquer anything. She's walking away with her honor intact. Next comment is from Tammy Golder Condon. She said, This episode is one that always sticks out in my mind as one of the best overall episodes. Agreed, Tammy. So much happened. If Faith had lived, the entire future and destiny of Jamie and Claire would have been completely different. Imagine Culloden with a baby, or them trying to change history with a baby in tow. I also don't think Brianna would have happened, or Jamie would have had the wisdom at the point to send Claire back. I think he would have wanted to keep them with him. It's all suppositional, of course. Diana wrote the books perfectly. Kat's acting in this is some of the best acting I've ever been privileged to watch. I cried most of the episode. Who doesn't love a good cry? But when she bowed to Magnus, I became a puddle. That was an epic scene. So subtle, but spoke volumes about Claire. Absolutely, Tammy. That scene with Magnus just had my heart in my throat. It was so good because... Magnus is the reason that she even had a chance at survival. He took her to the hospital as she requested, and her life was saved there. She would have bled to death otherwise. And yeah, just Claire bothering to show her respect to Magnus. I mean, the guy's a servant, and she's a great lady of of a Paris house. So that was kind of not protocol for that time, but she did it as a sign of respect and as a thank you, and that was a very powerful moment. Very good. Thanks for mentioning that, Tammy. Next comment is from Kathy Myers. She said, My heart breaks for her because I feel she had the weight of two different worlds on her shoulders. On one hand, her and Jamie are in a difficult period in their marriage while trying to change the future. Then suddenly, Blackjack Randall is back, and now she's got to try and not change the future for Frank's sake. The stress seemed unbearable and the miscarriage inevitable. From bring me my baby to Fergus's gentle brushing her hair, you just felt the weight of all of their choices. That is so true. They have so much responsibility, her and Jamie. Part of me wonders if they had not tried to change the future, how much of this would be different. Because there's so much stress on both of their parts. And it is a strained thing part of their marriage season one was her and Jamie getting to know each other and learning how to make their marriage work and then season two is keeping their marriage going like how can they be true to themselves but also respect each other in their marriage and make things work and make decisions together so it's a very important part of their relationship I felt like so yeah it's definitely the weight of two worlds. I do kind of feel like Frank has a little bit of unnecessary importance. Uh, I think that Claire put too much pressure on herself to make sure that Frank exists. I mean, obviously he exists. Otherwise, why would Claire have memories of him? Like, I think that Claire gives herself too much credit in thinking that she's going to change the future simply by existing in the past. So yeah, I think that there was probably a little bit too much pressure to keep Frank alive, but you know, it is what it is. This last comment absolutely blew my mind. So congratulations, Marie O, because I read this and I was like, holy shit. 
She said it could have been the ill wish. Guys, remember the ill wish that Leary put under Jamie and Claire's bed designed to bring harm, pain, and suffering? And all of a sudden, we've got all of this shit happening? Like, oh my god, I did not even put two and two together. And I will look at season two completely differently now, thinking about Marie O's comment. So <laughs> thank you for blowing my mind. That was crazy. All right, guys. Well, as always, if you have any comments or questions about this episode or any other episode of the Sassanac Files, please make sure to send an email to thesassanacfiles at gmail.com, and I will try to answer your questions or comments on the next episode of the Sassanac Files. This week is our mid-season break, so in two weeks, I will be back to talk 208 The Fox's Lair. Make sure to get your comments in on the official podcast thread to have your voices heard on the next episode. Until then, take care, guys. Stay safe out there, and I will chat at you in two weeks. Have a good one. Bye.